Terrific. Good morning, everybody. My name is Bill Huff. I am uh, one of the guys that is on staff here at Calvary. Um, I've been coming to Calvary for a number of years and know many of you. So I've been asked to uh, lead us today into the next uh, I am statement of uh, Jesus. So before we start, let's uh, just have a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful for this time to be together, Lord. We thank you for this place. Father, we would just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through the words, that your uh, name would be magnified, Father, through the passages that we study, through the words that are uh, provided. Just pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we're going to be talking about farm animals. Can you believe it? Could I have the next slide? It's a good one. So, I don't know a lot about farm animals. I'm sure that some of you may know, know more than I do, but I, I've gotten some expertise through uh, watching a daughter and son-in-law move from Connecticut to Vermont and decide to raise chickens. So anybody had any experience with chickens? So you're all as uh, expertise as, uh, you have as much expertise as I do about chickens. So they arrived in a box. They lived in the house for a while. Chickens in a house provide a, a unique kind of inexperience. Um, watching and listening to them, at first uh, <clears throat> I thought it was kind of cute because we decided that they should be named. So, you know, one chicken was named like Chick-fil-A, another was named like Chicken Marsala, and, and so on and so forth. And, and so that was their first run at chickens until they learned about the hazards of uh, raising farm animals. How many of you know that a hawk can pick a chicken up? It just seems unreal that the, a, a hawk that looks smaller than a chicken could pick a chicken up. They learned about raccoons. They learned about domestic dogs. They all liked to feed on the chickens, and eventually they learned that they had to get more chickens. <laughs> so <clears throat> the only other livestock that I've had a lot of experience with, not a lot, I should say, a little experience, is in raising sheep, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Now, we had some other friends that were in ministry that moved from Connecticut up to Maine, and, and as part of the deal that, that they had in the land that they bought, is they had to raise a certain amount of income from, from livestock or from farming, so they bought sheep. Now, um, watching them put up electric fences and find places for sheep to graze, graze was very interesting, but one, one visit up there, we, we brought our 12-pound Jack Russell Terrier, and if you have a dog, you know how enthusiastic Jack Russell Terriers can be. And we had three little girls that we rolled out of the car and we decided we'd go visit the sheep. Well, the Jack Russell Terrier was very interested in the sheep, and I will tell you that the sheep were not very interested in the Jack Russell Terrier. They were terrified when the dog jumped through the electric fence and just pursued them mercilessly. Me? I couldn't stop laughing, I gotta be honest with you. I'm thinking to myself, what is wrong with these sheep? They're like terrorized. My expertise is really limited to finding where the livestock and the farm animals exist in stop and shop. I can pick them up and put them in my carriage, and that's about all of the expertise that I'd like to have. So um, today we're gonna be looking at the fourth of seven I am statements that Jesus made. If you were here three weeks ago, we learned and listened to Peter preach about I am the bread of life, where he spoke those words to a crowd that was following him, that had crossed over the Sea of Galilee, found themselves listening to Jesus at a time when they had no food, and he made the proclamation, I am the bread of life. 
Two weeks ago, it was I am the light of the world, where Jesus spoke to um, the Jews and to his followers uh, during the Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Lights. And uh, this is where Jesus, just prior to him making the proclamation that I am the light, he was confronted by a woman that was brought to him that was caught in adultery. And he was also, um, shortly thereafter that, uh, came upon a man that was born blind from birth. And we're going to kind of talk about the relevance of that in a minute. Last week, John shared with us the claim that Jesus is the door. Today, uh, in, in the coming weeks, we're going to be looking at I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And finish with I am the true vine. So today, we'll be looking and really expanding on the claim that Jesus made that he is the good shepherd. So when we think about who he made this claim to in John chapter 10, and if you have your Bibles, please open them. It'll be up on the screen here in a minute. But to whom he was speaking to, he's speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to the man who was born blind, who could now see. There is no transition. There's no period of time between John 9 and John 10. So that man is still there that was healed of his blindness. There are Jews that are present. Some of the Jews were teachers and Pharisees and experts in the law. Some of them were just faithful, practicing Jews wanting to listen to this man. And there were, then there was a crowd of other people that were just listening to the words that came, into, uh, that came through Jesus' mouth in John chapter 10. Now, there were three events, two of which I've just mentioned, that lead up to Jesus making this claim. In John 6, he proves or validates that he, in fact, can be the bread of life. And he does that through a miracle. He feeds the 5,000 people. In John 8, after being confronted with a woman caught in adultery, without condemnation, Jesus accepts her with the word to leave her life of sin, showing that he is extending grace to sinners, and he is showing the, the validity of his claim that he's the light of the world demonstrating to us that he will bring to the Father, he will bring us to the Father without condemnation. And then in John 8, 12, after proclaiming to be that he's the light of the world, he heals a man who's born blind from birth. It's very interesting in John 9, verse 3, when he's asked, uh, well, just before that in verse 2, he's asked who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Jesus makes this statement, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. And what he's demonstrating through that miracle is that all the circumstances in our lives he will use for his purposes. So three key examples or three key experiences that Jesus uses to demonstrate now what he's going to say in John chapter 10. I do love, though, how Jesus follows up with that man to affirm to him that now he's given the ability to see, and it's the Son of Man who's given it, and that the Son of Man has accepted him. So, as I said, John shared last week the meaning of being the door, the only door. I love the pictures, if you were here last week, of the sheep pen and the examples that John gave about how the shepherd lays in the door of the sheep pen not only providing protection, but also providing access for food and nourishment to the sheep. So our text today is John 10. That was a long review, wasn't it? How am I doing here? 
<laughs> All right, you guys are in it. Fasten your seatbelts. We're going to dive into the text. Now, I have put in parentheses and underlined and highlighted key words that, that are in this passage. So as I read this, and you either read it in your own Bible or look at the screen, just start to take note of the, the words that are repeated um, as we kind of observe what this, this passage has to say. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the good shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The, G the Jews who heard these words were again divided. Now, a couple of things, a couple of observations. First of all, this is the only I am statement that Jesus made that is personal. It is about a person. We know others are, I am the bread, I am light, I am door, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is, I am a shepherd, I'm a person. So, some high-level observations from the text. So if you were counting along or observing, the word that was mentioned the most was sheep. <clears throat> Very good. Sheep, was, sheep were mentioned 11 times as, a, as either sheep or flock. The second word mentioned most is shepherd. And the third word mentioned most is good. So what we see is this focus in this passage that while the I am statement is what we're going to be talking about is I am the good shepherd, it would be difficult to be focused on this without learning more about sheep, which is what we'll do in a moment. Now, Jesus is called many things in the Bible. He's called the Amen, the Alpha, the Omega, the apostle, the author, the perfecter of the faith, branch, counselor, deliverer, something like 72 different names, and I've put something up that shows some of them, but he's, told, he, he's called many things. What he saw himself as, as he was born and, and lived on this earth, in John 1.29, the apostle John makes this proclamation saying that he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth, and in Luke 2.49, Jesus makes this statement as a young man at this wedding. Uh, was it the wedding? It wasn't at the wedding. It was when he was teaching in the, in the uh, temple. But he said he's to be about his father's business. So today, we'll be looking at Jesus' proclamation that he's the good shepherd. And what I hope that you'll take away from this is three things. How do I learn more about the shepherd by learning more about myself as being described by the shepherd as a sheep? Secondly, to learn more about Jesus, our shepherd, what he does and how he actually does it as the shepherd, and then to take away some key challenges for us as we continue our journey here on earth and, and as we continue our journey with the Lord. 
Have you ever noticed how we're the victims of things romanticized in society? Commercials, ads, uh, print media. We, um, it is a, now you probably can't read all these ads, but I thought, it would, it, I thought it would be helpful for you just to see. Some of the examples that we're sold in this romanticized view of our life is soft drinks will offer you happiness. Tea is like happiness and you can buy and sell it. Workouts show us what our motivations are in life. Fast food takes us to a better place. Don't you think? Doesn't this just make you want to run to Wendy's on the way home? <clears throat> Car selection in the lower uh, over here. I love that one. You can't really read what it says, but um, it just shows this peaceful tranquility that rainbows and deer will follow you if you buy this particular car brand. The famous commercial with the brand that has the red ribbon at Christmas will tell us that the key to a perfect family during the holidays is just that gift. And the last one is that leisure is the key to exceptional living. So this actually kind of holds true when you think about sheep. Now, when I ask you to think about sheep, you probably think about <laughs> cuddly little sheep. I, I just love this one. Don't, don't you love this? I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say the brand, so I won't say it, but, but, but I love that, Adam. It just feels like you want to just pick up that sheep and pet that sheep and just kind of really, really be soft, cuddly, cute, and personal with that sheep. Now, Jesus calls us sheep. Now, when he calls us sheep, uh, we have to remember that he was raised as the son of a carpenter in a agricultural society where he observed farm animals, sheep in particular. So we want to talk a little bit about what he knew purely from his experience growing up what she meant, looked like, and experienced. And again, reflecting back to last week, what those pictures looked like as to how integral those sheep pen were uh, as part of that society. Uh, but I will say, from my years of experience with sheep, which is none, uh, and just some research in doing uh, and preparing for this, is that of all the farmyard animals, sheep appear to be kind of the quirkiest. So what can we observe and know about sheep? I'm going to show a little video just to give you three examples. Oh, come on. Oh, he's showing. What is going on? Oh, oh it's a good news story. It gets better. Yeah. It was a good news story. <laughs> So all you need to do is just turn it over and it might be a bit dizzy for a little while, take a little while to get over it. We're so blessed with the internet to find videos like this, aren't we? <laughs> so um, Jesus really doesn't see us like those soft, furry, cuddly little animals that were in that slide, two slides back. Uh, 
He sees us a lot differently. Um, so look around. Just kind of look to the left, look to the right, look behind you. Go ahead, turn around, look, look at the person behind you. So here's what he sees. Jesus sees sheep as they all look different. Some are taller, some are shorter, some are wider, some are narrower, some are bushy-haired, some have no hair. He, he sees us as we are. We know that Jesus would have experienced and known that sheep are generally helpless. They are defenseless. They're really not that clever. I would hate to call them dumb, but one could probably call sheep dumb. I apologize. I'm speaking to you as sheep, but I'm one of them. So they're nervous. I was reading an article about how they're easily spooked and act along with the herd. And reported in 2015, in eastern Turkey was a story that was reported in a national media outlet that talked about 1,500 sheep that were unattended going over a cliff while the shepherds were eating breakfast just a little ways away. You see, the first 400 fell to their death because they followed the first one over. And as they all started to run, as sheep do together when they're afraid, um, 400 followed the first one to their death. 1,100 more went over. They didn't die because they were cushioned by the first 400. <laughs> so apparently what happened, or what's believed to have happened, is the first sheep was spooked, the next 400 followed, and the 1,100 couldn't see what was happening because they were following the first 400 and just went over the cliff. So the videos show us also that we're prone to repeat the same thing over and over again. The sheep that rammed the barrel obviously was acting without regard to consequence. Again, I'm talking about sheep, right? And this is what Jesus is thinking, likely, when he was talking about sheep. Uh, we tend to find ourselves jumping into the same ruts that we got out of. Uh, we're not designed to carry burdens. There's no such thing as a pack sheep. You don't see them loaded up and carrying burdens. They're not designed for that. They will go anywhere to eat and often can find themselves entangled and lost because as they go into the, 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 the thicket and thorns, their wool stops them from being able to get out when they go in just to follow a little food. They're prone to infection. We'll talk a little bit about how lovely that can, can be. I won't show any pictures of that. Uh, they, need uh, they need direction and guidance to be nourished properly. So you could summarize kind of that they are somewhat dirty, uh, somewhat stubborn, somewhat nervous. Uh, and that's what Jesus is calling us. He knows the physical realities of the statement that he makes by saying that we're sheep. So as he transitions, as we transition into what he's thinking about in terms of what that means spiritually, what we can see is that uh, from Scripture in Jesus' mind that he is speaking <clears throat> that all of us are like sheep. We've gone astray, Isaiah 53 tells us. 
We've turned everyone to his own way. He knows our heart. He knows our tendency to stray. He's all about gathering us from that. What we see in Matthew 9 is that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. <clears throat> now, I don't know what you think about when you see crowds, uh, but I know what I think about. I'm not all that compassionate about crowds. But what Jesus saw is um, the fact that they were helpless, and Jesus had compassion on that. His desire is that none of his sheep should perish and that all should come into his flock. And Isaiah 40 tells us that he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with, young, with the young. A beautiful picture of a kind and gentle, loving hand. So listen, Jesus could relate to us as sheep in the statement that he was making and in his knowledge of the spiritual reality of who and what we are as sheep. In fact, the sheep that are listening to what he's stating are his disciples, followers who were Jews, followers that weren't Jews, leadership of Jews, and this man who could see. So to just kind of talk about a few th key things that we can learn uh, more about ourselves and more about the shepherd, I'll call ahas that we can learn to kind of take home. What can I learn about myself as being seen by Jesus as a sheep, and what can I learn about him? Well, first of all, the first aha is that by nature, sheep follow. I'm going to follow something. I'm going to follow someone. Because that's what sheep do, they follow. I may follow my own way. I may see that little patch of grass and say, I'm gonna follow that grass. I'm gonna follow other shepherds. I can follow a shepherd. I can follow a bad shepherd. We often act without regard to long-term effect or implications is the second thing that we can learn. The third thing is that we all have real fears about what we know and what's unknown to us. The next is that we easily repeat the same mistakes. We don't learn well from mistakes. Um, and again, I thought that video of the sheep jumping from getting pulled out of that rut back into it is a great example of that. Sheep need guidance to be healthy and well-nourished. They don't just naturally uh, find themselves eating the right things in the right way at the right time. And sheep, as we also, we will learn, uh, we will all experience joyful and painful realities. So those are the things that we can learn about ourselves, about sheep. Again, again, Jesus looking at us 11 times in this passage. He sees us as we are as sheep. Now let's talk about what we can, can learn about shepherding in kind of the, that culture and the context of Jesus' day. And I do promise we're going to get back to the text in John 10, in case you're wondering. Um, so, in terms of what Jesus knew about shepherding, uh, he was very familiar as a, as a man, certainly as the Lord, but in his Jewish heritage about shepherds. There were other shepherds that, are, that we learn about in the Old Testament. 
Abraham was a shepherd. Isaac was a shepherd. Jacob was a shepherd. Moses, for the, for, from age 40 to age 80, was a shepherd. And in fact, David also was a shepherd. So the concept of being a shepherd, while he knew what shepherding was all about as it related to sheep, he also understands the statement as it relates to the, the, the faith of, of Israel's history. Now, in looking at some commentaries and reading some articles, sorry about that, um, what I learned is that at that time, shepherds are really, were really not considered part of polite society. They were required often to tend to their flocks outside the city gates. The only reason in Jewish culture that they were viewed as significant was during certain celebrations, it was required that people purchase sheep to be sacrificed. But for the most part, they were kind of out of sight and out of mind. Uh, commentaries refer to them as roaming beatniks, often trespassing on other people's lands with their sheep. They were social outcasts viewed with suspicion and contempt. Now, we also know that there were shepherds in the fields surrounding Bethlehem. They just weren't out all the time in the wilderness where they often kept sheep. So the thinking at that point is that many priests also did shepherding, again, so that the sheep would be available for the sacrifices that needed to be made. They were men of humble circumstances. They lived simply. They owned and loved and cared for and relied on the sheep for their living. They were tough. The image we see of uh, one shepherd, David, as a young man, when he was in uh, raising sheep, is that he would have to fend lions off. And he used a slingshot. In the same way that he used a slingshot to slay Goliath, David was that shepherd out there with the sheep. So he was tough. Uh, I don't know how tough I'd be facing a coyote out in the woods in Maine with, uh, with trying to protect sheep, but. Maybe I'd be tough, I don't know. But what we know about sheep is that they will thrive if they're free from fear, if they're not tense or nervous, that they're not aggravate, aggravated by disease or parasites, and if they're well fed with good green grass and water. We know that about sheep, so the shepherd was all about creating that environment where they would thrive. Shepherds are not concerned about what other, things, what other people think about them, they're prepared to defend and rescue at any time. And then I did dig in a little bit deeper and discover that there were two schools of thought. This sounds like it's a little political, but it's not. There are two schools of thoughts as it relates to shepherding. The Western view and the Eastern view. Now, you're going to leave here with something very useful. The Western view is that you could drive sheep. You could make the sheep lay down. You drove the sheep. The Eastern view is that the sheep would follow you. So the Western view, you see, you know, the use of dogs and, you know, contemporary using mechanical vehicles to try to herd the sheep. The Eastern view, which is what was prominent at the time, what Jesus would be thinking about, is that the shepherd would lead and the sheep would follow. The shepherd didn't want to drive. In fact, they wouldn't drive the sheep. They would encourage, nudge, and move the sheep to follow them. So it was common, as John showed last 
week for three or four different shepherds to bring their sheep into that one pen. Do you remember the rock pen that he showed last week? So three or four different flocks of sheep would be brought into this one pen. And they would spend the night there under the protection of that, those gates. And in the morning, the, the shepherds would allow the sheep to come out. And the sheep would follow their shepherd. The sheep were known by the shepherd, and the shepherd knew their sheep. They knew the voice of the shepherd. And they would follow the sheep. A beautiful picture. Often they would mark the sheep so that they could identify the sheep more readily. And there's real rich symbolism in the fact that as, as, as Jesus' sheep, we are marked. We are known by him. And we know him. We know his voice. So going back to the text in John chapter 10 and looking at, uh, at, at those verses in 11 to 18, let's, let's dive a little bit deeper into what Jesus is claiming as, as he's the, the good shepherd. And this is to kind of look at what it means, what Jesus means by stating that he's the good shepherd. So in verses 11 through 13, it says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because... He's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So the first statement that Jesus is saying is, look, there are good sheep, the good shepherds, and there are evil shepherds. And the comparing and the contrasting is simple. It's very simple. A good shepherd will die for the sheep. He didn't go any farther than that. It's the absolute statement. The good shepherd will do anything and everything all the way up to sacrificing his life for the sheep. The not good ones, they're hired hands. They're in it for what they can get out of it. They're making a paycheck. They don't care about the shepherds, uh, about the sheep, excuse me. They're not looking to go find the lost sheep. They're not looking to bring other sheep in. So what we see is that uh, the good shepherd, the what is, he will give everything up for the sheep, fully vested and that is what differentiates a good shepherd from a not good or evil shepherd. Secondly, in verses 14 and 15, I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. What we read from that is, I know the sheep. Now, the word that's used for know is intimate, to intimately know. It is the same word that is used to describe the relationship between a husband and a wife. So what it is literally saying is that I am fully intimately knowledgeable. I know everything about the sheep. There is nothing, no thought, no word, no action, no deed that I don't know. I know the sheep and I accept that sheep as they are. Verse 16 says, <clears throat> I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. So what he is 
saying as it relates to what Jesus is thinking about and doing is that he is focused on looking at bringing in sheep. And in the context that he's stating this with Jews and Jewish leadership, he's making the statement that, look, there are sheep that are outside of the nation of Israel that I'm looking to bring in. But, but what we see is that, as it relates to the shepherd, what he does is he sees us all equally. And the shepherd is looking to complete his flock. And then in verses 17 through 19, it says, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. <clears throat> no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my father. So he willingly will lay down his life for the sheep with humility, not considering himself as the son of man. Philippians 2 verse 5 says, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even to death on a cross. So what we see is this statement of humility, where Isaiah 53, 12 says, therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with transgressors. When he says, I will lay it down in John 10, 18, he literally is talking about, I will pour out my life. And he will pour out his life and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore, in Isaiah it says, again, Isaiah 53, 12, he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. You see, one day the shepherd will come and he will come as the lamb. And he will return to gather the sheep as the shepherd, as the lamb who is paid with his blood, who has poured out his life for us as sheep. And he will come and he will gather from all the nations and tribes and bring us together in a newly created heaven and earth which we'll learn more about when we get into Revelation. And we will live with his people, we are told. And as Revelation 21 says in verse 3, what we can look forward to as a result of that, if we are in his flock and known by him, and if we know him, it says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with him, with them, and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. The shepherd. What the shepherd is and what the shepherd does for us. Now, to, to further understand the good, good shepherd, we, we have one passage that we're going to go through to look at, and that's Psalm 23. Um, so in kind of preparing to understand this passage, um, there were two books. Did we already go past that? Did I miss that? It's on the screen, thank you. There, there are two books that uh, I'm going to rely heavily on to walk through Psalm 23 in particular as it relates to what or, or how, I should say, 
The Shepherd Leads Us. The first book was written in uh, the late 90s, and it's called um, A Shepherd's Look at the 23rd Psalm by Philip Keller. And the other book is a book called Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table. And it looks, uh, in particular, at Psalm 23.5, and it's written by Louis Giglio, a pastor in Atlanta. Uh, The book by Philip Keller, entitled The Shepherd's Look at the 23rd Psalm, uh, gives us insight from a man. Keller was was raised uh, actually being a shepherd in East Africa. When he wrote the book, he wrote it, and he was pastoring a church. So through his early years going into his teens and 20s, he was a shepherd, and he shepherded with other uh, native herders in East Africa over a period of eight years. So while John gives us a clear teaching on what a good shepherd, what the shepherd is or does, Psalm 23 is going to give us wonderful insight uh, into how the shepherd does it. So I'm not going to read this aloud. I'm going to go verse by verse. And what, I, what I'd like to share is just some of the insight that I got in reading that book. Now, the book, you may have read it. It's, it's a, a, was a very popular book. If you've not read it, boy, it, what a blessing. It's a, it's a wonderful, powerful book. Now, who wrote the 23rd Psalm? David. Just to remind us, David was a shepherd. So David knows kind of what he's talking about. He raised sheep. He lived with sheep. He took sheep out into the wilderness. He did the job of being a shepherd. So the first verse talks about the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. So literally it's saying because the Lord is my shepherd, I lack for nothing. Um, Because he's leading me, He's looking out for where I'm going. He's looking out for what's coming at me. He sees the best pastures. He knows if I'm not in them, how he can lead me to them. He knows about the weather. He knows about the circumstances of my life. In the context of the East African experience, Keller talks about how one key way that he could watch out for the shepherd and, or watch out for the sheep in, in terms of active shepherding is he, watches, he would watch the fields for buzzards because buzzards indicated that a sheep was down. Now, one of the things we saw in the video was the sheep lying on its back. Buzzards, predators would see a sheep that was unable to get up and saw it as a free meal. So because the Lord is my shepherd... I lack nothing. Proactively, I lack nothing. Reactively. I can be content and at rest because the Lord is my shepherd, verse 1 tells me. He makes me lie down in green pastures. (laughs) Sorry. Now, again, I want to remind you, I'm not an expert on sheep. This is coming literally from what I, I read and studied, particularly in this book. Sheep don't want to lay down unless they are free from fear, free from tension, free from aggravation, and well-fed. They will not lie down unless all four of those criteria are met. 
He knows where food is. He offers, a shepherd offers protection. Even when I won't find my own, he will look for the most effective ways to move me from where I am. But the beauty of that, that, that approach of shepherding is that he's not going to drive us. He is going to lead us as a shepherd. Right? He will lead us to where we can be free from fear and anxiety. He will lead us to where we are free from aggravation and tension. He, and when he does that, the result is that we will lie down in his pasture. He leads me beside quiet waters. Second part of verse 2. You see, the shepherd knows where clean, fresh water is. Uh, sheep in this country and in that culture uh, thrive in arid environments where it's dry and, and there's sparse vegetation. We see that uh, even out west, Today is where you know, the majority of the sheep are raised in this country. Uh, but they still need water and they need green pastures. They'll drink when they're thirsty, and they will drink at whatever source of water they can get, whether it's clean or dirty water. The other thing, in, an arid, in arid climates, obviously, you, you know, there's not a pond around every corner. And one of the, the insights that, that Keller provided is that Shepherds will lead the sheep in the early morning when the dew is on the grass. And the, sh the, the sheep will get water from the, the grass. And, and he, it's a beautiful picture of the fact that are we following the shepherd with the expectation in the early morning of getting up and, and feeding on the water that he has for us? Because he provides that water. He will lead us to the water, and it's, there, it's, it's for us to, to make the choice to, to respond to that. He refreshes my soul, verse 3 says. Now, that word is an interesting word because it talks about, you, you also see it translated as, he restores my soul, but the word can also mean to turn back. And in the context of Psalm 51 that David also wrote after his sin with Bathsheba, he, he talks about restoring to me the joy of my salvation. And what we literally saw in the video with the sheep that was on its back, that's called being uh, cast down. Now, sheep, when they do lay down, believe it or not, particularly when they're fat and well-fed and have a lot of fur, they can roll. And if they roll too far, you saw what happened. Has anybody ever seen a sheep cast down? I love it. You all, you all know as little about this as I do. I could say anything about sheep. I probably have said anything about sheep, but um, it was interesting to me to read that it's not just unhealthy sheep. It's not just unwise sheep that get them, find themselves in that position. It's often sheep that are well-fed from the shepherd. We're well-nourished. We have everything we need here. We're, we're having abundance in this culture as sheep. We are fat sheep, and we can roll over and find ourselves in a position that we can't get up. Those sheep, if they are not restored or turned back to the joy of their salvation, what physically happens to that sheep is that their internal organs start to swell, and they will die in that position relatively quickly. 
So it's a very sober warning, right? It's like, but you see, the shepherd is looking to restore us, to roll us back over and get us back on our feet. Now remember, he was speaking, <clears throat> David is saying these words. He's experienced extreme hardship. He experienced um, his son trying to destroy him, Saul trying to, to destroy him. He experienced having to flee, loneliness, rejection, failure, to be cast down. David experienced all that, yet he says he restores, he, he refreshes my soul. And then he goes on to say he guides me along the paths of righteousness for his own sake. Sheep uh, will follow the exact trail every single day if they're not led away from it. Regardless of whether there's no food or not, sheep will keep going the same way all the time on their own. He knows the shepherd and directs the sheep to experience his riches and his purposes in and through us. And then even though I walk through the darkest valleys, now here's a verse that we, we often hear at, at funerals. I mean, we, 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 it, it's a common verse for us. The, the passage is common. And uh, the, the, the intriguing uh, spin that Keller, or insight, I should say, that Keller provides as a shepherd is that in those arid climates, in the summer months when it's even drier, what shepherds would do is that they would, they would take the sheep up to higher country where there was green vegetation, where it was cooler, and where, where they could feed in a more healthy manner. And the way they would take them up these mountains and these hillsides is that they would have to go through the ravines to get up there. And when he talks about the darkest valley, what he's really alluding to as a shepherd is that the shepherd would have gone all the way already up to, to see in those, um, in those hills that he's going to lead the sheep to. He's gone and explored beforehand so that he is able to take the sheep. So, but it's dangerous. It's a dangerous journey. So when, it, it, when, it, when he talks about even though I walked through the darkest valley, what David is seeing is that the, the shepherd... The Lord is going to take us through that point with a purpose. And that purpose is to lead us to where we're ultimately going to be nourished and receive the food and the blessing that we need. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. We don't need to be afraid when we're walking through those valleys. We know where we're going. We know who's with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, the shepherd had two instruments, the rod and the staff. The rod was a straight instrument. It usually had a knobbed head. It was used for two things. It was used to ensure that predators could be uh, a, a defended against. And it could also be used as discipline for, for sheep that weren't paying attention. So the rod had those two purposes. Um, and so we think about in the Old Testament, we hear about Moses lifting his staff in in you know, trying to get Israel out of Pharaoh's control. Throw your staff down. It'll turn, into a, it'll turn into a serpent. And rod and staff often get interchanged. But it was that straight instrument that he threw down. So the rod actually becomes the word of the Lord. It, the, the picture is that the rod is God's word. And God's word is what's used to protect. It, God's word is what's used to discipline us. This, the second is the staff that he refers to. And that's that 
thing we usually only see at Christmas. It's that thing with a hook on it. It's typically called the shepherd's crook. It's used for support for the shepherd when he walked, and it's used for the shepherd to gently guide and nudge to make sure that the, the lambs are following their, their mother. It's used to make sure that we're staying on the path that we should be seen in. So the staff is seen as comfort. The rod is the word. The staff is the Holy Spirit, the comfort. And that's what David is talking about. Um, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And what lies ahead of me, the dangers and adversity are already known to you. So that, that really is this table that you're preparing in the context of being a shepherd in that time period, the table was the mesa in the hillside, the plateau. And that's what Jesus is preparing for us, a table there. The book by Giglio, if you've not read it, a very interesting insight on the fact that here we are as sheep. The shepherd wants to, to sit and dine with us. This shepherd who has given us everything is, is seated at a table in the presence of the enemies, the enemies who want to distract us from that relationship that we as sheep can have with the living Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Creator. We choose who sits at that table. And Giglio's book is all about what are we choosing? Are we choosing to just dine and experience full life with the shepherd, the savior? Are we letting other enemies sit at that table with us? So a lot to learn, and I am racing over time here. So I'm going to just finish with a couple of closing thoughts about what uh, uh, we can learn about the good shepherd from John 10, as well as Psalm 23. So, uh, how does the good shepherd work in my life as I see him? First of all, he knows and sees and uses every circumstance and experience in our life. He knows what's best and desires that for us. He knows the causes of my being cast down, what causes me to stumble, and he's ready to restore me. He goes before me to prepare a way. He's inviting me to sit with him, and he promises me hope and rest as I follow him. Lastly, he gives everything freely for us to experience life with him. He will and does not give everything to make it possible for me to follow him. It makes it, he, he, he will and does give me everything that I need to make it possible for me to follow him. So again, seated in front of this, uh, seated in this room right now, in the same way that uh, when Jesus spoke the words in John 10, there are different types of people. There are people in different places. There are religious people. There are people that were trained in the law that Jesus is speaking to. So what we have in this room is religious people. We have people who are knowledgeable people. We have people that don't know the shepherd. We have people that are here uh, because they want to learn more. So today the good shepherd is standing in front of this body of sheep and um, as he stands in front of this body of sheep, the words of Matthew 11 tell us, come to me all you who are weary and, and burdened 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up if they would, please. And so this invitation is being extended to us, all of us, in the same way that John, in John 10, Jesus was speaking to different people in different places. His sheep, Jesus is speaking to us. And the, a few challenges for us today. The first challenge that we get from this insight is simple one. Do you know the shepherd? In John 10, Jesus says, I know the sheep and the sheep know me. But, or I'm known by the sheep. So the simple question is, have you accepted the free gift of grace? Are you here today? Do you know the shepherd? Jesus is offering an invitation to us all that don't know him. If you don't know him today, it's very simple to know Jesus. Jesus, as the shepherd, came to give his life so that you may know him. The Bible tells us that, that you were born and live in sin, and that just means we go our own way. We, we, we wander. We don't naturally follow him. And because of that, there's an effect the effect is, is that we will be eternally separated from him. So if you're here today and you don't know him, he's also provided the remedy. A free gift of life, a free gift of grace is given so that you may have eternal life with him. All you need to do is accept that free gift. And if you don't know how to do that, there are people here that can help, can take God's word and can walk you through that. But for most of us, probably in this room, a couple of simple kind of insights and, and, and thoughts. If you know him, if I know him, look, today, what pasture am I grazing in? Did I follow him into his pasture? Uh, is he leading me into the pasture? Or is he, Jesus, I want you right here. I'm going to go this way, Jesus, I want you right here. Or is it kind of like, Jesus, I know I got you, uh, and I'm going to turn back and look at you when I've got a problem. So, what are you sustaining yourself with? Is it the green grass and the riches that he's provided? It comes down to one word. Do I trust him? He's prepared a seat at his table. Are you there? So this is a statement on the board that I hope you can read. I think it's a fascinating statement because it really talks about um, we ask God to change our situation not knowing he put us in the situation to change us. So as we, as we think about these words in John 10 and John 23, I'll, I'll close with just a, a prayer that's a benediction that I think brings it all together. That says, Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.